All right, welcome back to another episode of Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. Thanks for joining us again. A little maintenance we're going to get out of the way ahead of time. Uh, Of course, I've talked about it a number of times, but you can always find a list of where we are located. If you go to facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom, all one word, uh, we have a list of all the different podcast venues that we appear on. Also, if you go to our anchor homepage, anchor.fm forward slash fuel your fandom, you can also uh, leave us a message if you have something you want to say in particular regarding one of the episodes or uh, if you just want to say hi, that's fine too. Also, it gives you the ability to, if you're feeling generous and friendly, you can donate a dollar or two, and uh, it all goes to the upkeep of the show, which we appreciate. Um, But enough about that. Today is a conversation that I've waited years and years and years to have, and I'm super, super excited to be here with him. Uh, This is, uh, we're going to talk about video games. And, and, and in specific video games, but, but more detailed into retro video gaming, retro video gaming culture, things of that nature. And uh, joining me today is a very, very good friend of mine who's been a friend of mine for more years than I can count. Um, his name is Jim. I want to welcome you to the show, Jim. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. I'm happy as a clam to be here. Well, I'm happy as a clam that you are here. So uh, this is one of the first episodes that we're recording remotely, uh, myself being in the lovely state of Washington. And Jim, where are you at? Uh, I am in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. So about as far away as you could possibly get and still be in the continental United States. Yeah, it's quite a hike. uh, Yeah, it's it's, it's practically Canada. (laughs) What I usually like to do with my guests uh, before we sit down and get deep into it is I just kind of throw it to you and you kind of explain... Uh, a little bit about what you're nerdy about. It doesn't have to be on topic. Just kind of, what are you nerdy about? What is your, what's your passion? What's your fandom? Uh, and just kind of dig into your head a little bit. Do you mind? Oh gosh, yeah. I'm I'm 90% nerd. I don't really have a whole lot of hard drive space left for anything else. Uh, you know, movies, <laughs> music. Um, you know, uh, I've been a, a professional writer for the last 20 years, so I'm a complete nerd about English and and uh, love to dig into uh, to grammar and just analyze words. Um, but uh, video gaming has been something that I have loved for a very very long time. I mean, I'm 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 quite old. First of all, I should establish that I uh, I turn 45 next year. So essentially, I picked a hobby that. Uh, I'm not going to say matured because that wouldn't be accurate, but grew up at least right alongside of me. The yeah, first I'm, I'm, I'm console I'm I can right remember. Yeah, the first console I can remember having wasn't even an Atari 2600. It was prior to that. This was one of those things that um, I don't remember the name of it. There were several uh, things that, that had a similar form and function, but it was a Pong deck that actually had the uh, the, the fader style slider controls built right onto the console and it was in black and white so you hooked it up Magnavox. to your TV and you could uh, move the paddles yeah it might have been um, I think I have one yeah <clears throat> yeah I had a Magnavox Odyssey 2 at one point also that was uh something else that came up a couple years later but you know and then I was enthralled as a kid because as a kid you know you look at the TV and you see you know the the actors and actresses and people on TV and you you can't interact with them you can yell at the TV but they don't they don't listen to you so <laughs> as a kid I was enthralled by you mean I can make something on the TV move I move this thing and the thing on on the TV moves it was just it connected these synapses in my tiny developing brain that just really that uh that gratification of being able to affect what's happening on the screen in front of me has never really gone away. So, of course, uh, 
it's an unwritten rule that kids have every toy their parents ever wanted. So my dad was super into Pac-Man. So we bought the uh, Atari 2600 and, of course, the awful, legendarily awful adaptation of Pac-Man that was on that console. I remember. And, uh, you know, yeah, it was terrible. Although, as a kid, I loved it. I didn't know any better. Um, I loved all of these supposedly terrible video game uh, adaptations that were on the... I loved Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was supposed to be awful. I loved E.T., which was, you know... Uh, legendarily awful. ...credited with the crash of the industry. Yeah, all the uh, the landfill in uh, Almogordo, New Mexico. Um, so, but I, I just... I, it wasn't about quality for me early on, at least. It was about the idea that I could, you know, pick up this this joystick or this controller, or this this whatever I, the interface was, and make stuff move around on the TV. That seemed like magic to me. I'd never really gotten over it. So as I got older, you know, I had uh, uh, an NES and an SNES and, and, and a Genesis, and I had friends that that uh, we would trade games back and forth. And and of course, when you're in junior high, nobody was playing video games. They were playing Nintendo because it was the only game in town. And, you know, I, I actually had some very important life decisions to make at one point. I went to college and needed a game console. Uh, so at the time, I, I was reading, I think it must have been Electronic Gaming Monthly or something, one of the old um, journals of the industry. And they talked about how uh, the home versions of Mortal Kombat 2 or 3, I think. No, it was 3. Mortal Kombat 3 would have been like 93, 94. Um, I made the decision to buy an SNES over uh, a PlayStation because I remember reading, because I, I loved Mortal Kombat 3 in the arcades. Yeah, I remember those. Um, when when not, there not only were malls, but also Aladdin's castles in those malls. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought the, uh, the SNES version because I remember reading in, in a magazine article, it is the most pixel-perfect adaptation of this game because... Uh, they, they contrasted it against the PlayStation version, and even though I never played Shang Tsung as a character, they said if you play Shang Tsung on a disc-based system as opposed to a cartridge-based system, if you morph into another character, you have to, to the game freezes for you know five or six seconds while it loads the data from the disc so that you can you know uh, transform into the other character. And I thought, well, that's going to mess up the momentum. You don't want that. So I, I made the decision to buy the SNES instead, and. And you know, it's just it's it's been a lifetime of those kinds of decisions. And I also was lucky enough to grow up in a town, um, a resort town in southeastern Wisconsin called Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and it had an arcade uh, called Gameland that sadly is not there anymore. But it was one of those wonderful places that that uh, smelled like popcorn and cotton candy. And they uh, they bought a whole bunch of cabinets way back in the day. And they 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 start. I mean, they had uh, an original uh, Star Wars vector cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, they had uh, some pinball machines. They had an original Galaxian, an original Jungle Hunt. Um, you know, they had the I don't remember what the the game was was called, but it was the one with the the monster trucks where they had the four steering wheels in the front of it. RC, and they, no, uh, they RC st- Pro they, they kinda, Am, I think wasn't that RC Pro Am? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was something like that. But it was, I, th- I think I don't know. It, was, it had somebody's name. It was a licensed game of some uh, monster truck driver. I don't yeah. really remember what it was. I, I just I remember, don't remember loving his name. it. And I, the, it had diamond-plated pedals on the floor and then steering wheels you could spin around and, and it, four players could play on the same map at the same time on the screen. And Again, I was enthralled by that. I was so they, it. Was, I sucked at it because it, it had tank controls. But, uh, you know, I, I loved being able... Before I could drive, I thought, well, this is a pedal and a wheel. I can pretend to drive here. But they, uh, they had all these great cabinets. They stopped updating right around the time when like the four-player side-scrolling beat-em-ups came along. They had The Simpsons, X-Men, and the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, and that was when they kind of stopped. So they were they kind of stayed open long enough to come right back around into retro again, 
but uh, they closed a couple years ago. I have no idea what happened to the cabinets, but uh, they were an institution here in this area for quite a long time. So it's just you know I, I had I was I was kind of I never had a prayer of being a normal kid because of all the the video game influence I had growing up. It just it, it cemented that interactivity, that electronic entertainment thing in my tiny juvenile brain really early. And it's right. just been there ever since. And, and like I said before, I, I, I'm very, I consider myself lucky that I chose a hobby that, that kind of matured along with me. You know, as a kid, I, I was just enthralled to be able to interact with stuff on the TV. And now I, I open up like a sandbox. And if it's like, ah, there's not enough icons on this giant several hundred square mile map to keep me occupied through Christmas, you know, it's, it's, it's just uh, it's how your, your brain changes. But, uh, yeah, games, retro games, got to love them. So yeah, that, that's really cool. I haven't been to uh, an ar- actual physical arcade in a very long time. Uh, well, no, that's not actually true. I, I went to GameWorks uh, for my son's birthday in Seattle, and I was 50% pleased with my investiture of time and, and 50% annoyed because half of the machines were broken and didn't work Yeah. Right and well, it's really sad, like, you know, because... All the machines still worked. But. There aren't as, as as much arcades anymore as there are like arcade themed bars like Dave and Buster's and GameWorks and that kind of thing, and they're great. They're oh yeah, fine. We, they got, definitely, we got a great one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a great one up here called Dorkies that I used to go to after work all the time, and you know they they, they had a bunch of the old classics, a bunch of pinball. I like they had Tapper. They had like the old Budweiser themed Tapper. Oh yeah, I've actually got a, uh, a cabinet sitting right behind me. Where, yeah, an old, uh, it's it's not old. It's it's a re reissue. It's a Midway cabinet that's got uh, twelve games in it, and, and it's got the the root beer tapper. It's not the Budweiser brand of tapper, but one of the games is is that. So I fire that up once in a while and throw glasses at uh, at insistent patrons. It's fun. And I'm actually super jealous of your of your collection of uh, of uh, mini arcade and arcade games, and and in fact, you kind of helped usher me into uh, collecting. The little teeny tiny cabinets, and, <laughs> and and so I've got I've got uh, like six of the little tiny keychain ones. Well, I definitely uh, should apologize for that because that becomes a very no, expensive and very obsessive hobby. They're fun. I, I have all of the tiny arcade keychain ones that I know of, and they're coming out with with new ones of those every couple of months. They just came out with a uh, a pole position and a rally X that have little tiny steering wheels on them. And then there's the the yes, my arcade I ones know. that are yeah that are slightly larger than those that uh, like uh, there's a Mappy and a Bad Dudes and, and a Burger Time and those are those are there also. I've but, got uh, the- I've got the bad dudes and I've got the burger time and in fact I picked up a it's kind of an off-brand one that Walmart sells but I picked up Mortal Kombat 1. Oh man, I'm going to have to look had, for that. Uh, Fix It Felix from the Wreck-It Ralph game oh, or fun. the Wreck-It Ralph movie. And it's it's exactly like in the movie you just it's like Rampage style where you run up the building and instead of wrecking it you're fixing it. Uh, yeah, Rampage is on the uh, same cabinet. It's uh, it's it's not the original arcade ROM though. I realize because I've played that one and, and the graphical fidelity is a lot higher. It's actually the home version of the ROM, the one that was actually on the uh, on the NES. But it's still, I mean, it's Rampage. So you know, what do you want? I mean, but, it's uh, close enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they have they have uh, one of those my arcades. They have Bubble Bobble, and that's going to be my next one, I think. But you pointed that out to me, because. so of course I immediately went to Amazon and grabbed it. So it's uh, it's, it's <laughs> sitting up there with the rest of them. But it's a good time to be a retro uh, gamer. I mean, you know, especially you know, they got those absolutely. tiny cabinets. They got the arcade one-up cabinets, which are tons of fun. Um, you know, there's definitely oh, an appetite for those kinds of things. New- they're coming out with new and great ones of that every day too. They just came out with the Ninja Turtles four-player cabinet. Oh my gosh! And and if rumor is correct, 
Uh, they've got a Children of the Atom four-player X-Men cabinet coming out for that as well. Oh, man. Uh, and yeah. I'm super stoked on that, and my wife hates that I am because <laughs> where the fuck am I going to put any of this crap? It's a good See, time my, to be my, a gamer, but it's yeah, an expensive time. Yeah, it really time. is. Well, I got into it when uh, I quit smoking. Uh, I quit smoking oh, well. three years ago, and uh, I was spending an ass ton of money on, on, on cigars and cigarettes and things like that. And and so when I quit smoking, as, a, as kind of a reward to myself, I started off collecting video games. I've got you got to replace that habit buddy. with something. Yeah, every, Daddy's got to scratch the itch. But uh, we have a, a, a toy shop up here. It's called the Toy Box Collectibles. It's owned by my friend Ryan. And uh, I've been going to his shop for like seven, eight years now, something like that. A long time. As long as my daughter's been alive, I can tell you that much. And uh, I call him my digital crack dealer because every time <laughs> I go in there, I'd be dropping cash. I'd say, I bought my Nintendos. I bought my... I've got... Let's see. I've got every Nintendo that you can buy like in the United States. Even the Virtual uh, Boy? I do have a virtual book. Look at you all hardcore with that headache machine. Really, oh, it's like eye-humping Cyclops, I swear <laughs> to God. But uh, aside from the next strain, uh, it gives me a migraine to play for more than 15, 20 minutes. I, I think it gave everybody a migraine to play for that long, which is part of the reason why it tanked so hard. But uh, you're, you're a brave <laughs> man to, to press your, uh, your eyeballs against that monstrosity. Oh yeah, but it's in great shape, and I love it. And uh, so every time I'd go in there, I'd drop, I'd drop money and, and things. I bought my Ataris from him. I bought, I bought pretty much all of my video game systems from him. And right now, I own like all the Nintendos. I own the uh, uh, Famicom from Japan. I own the Super Famicom from Japan, uh, which is of course the their version of the Nintendo NES and the Super NES. Oh yeah, I haven't uh, seen one of those in a long, long time. But uh, it's, it's funny. They're inconvenient I, I, to play. <clears throat> yeah, I used to. Here's a funny. It's a fun story. I used to work at a. Um, this is again dating myself uh, and putting myself in a very uh, aging Gen X bracket in a hard way. But I used to work at a used <laughs> record store um, in Greater Chicagoland years and years ago, um, and we sold video games also. So we had a pretty decent collection that people could buy and sell the used games. And there was this collector that came in. And he had a huge book, uh, an actual physical book, under his arm all the time, because he was a, a collector of, of all the old systems, and he was looking to get, uh, his, his holy grail was having a complete collection of NES games. I mean, down to the ones that, you know, like the, the ones with the like dip switches they gave away at the, at the tournaments. $780? Oh, yeah. So he had this... this or not uh, 780 cartridges, I believe. Like yeah. That. He, he, so he had this guy that had things ranked in terms of rarity, and not just for the NES, but for collectors in general. So he'd come in and look once in a while, and we struck up conversations based on video games. So at one point, my ex-wife, her uncle, uh, she called him Uncle Steve, and I need to look him up. I should have done that prior to actually doing this, but he was apparently one of the guys who was an engineer uh, behind the Magnavox Odyssey 2. So that was the old one that had the actual, like, the, the uh, blister keyboard on the front of it, uh, the chiclet keyboard, and he had done really one. well. Yeah, he had done really well money-wise, so he actually lived in a house in Hollywood called the Pink Palace that he bought from Jane Mansfield and sold to Engelbert Harperdink. That may be apocryphal, but that's the story that I heard. Um, so anyway, we were cleaning out the garage at her folks' house once, and we found this old box in the top of the closet, and it was uh, a working Magnavox Odyssey, 
uh, but it was a dev kit Odyssey. It was uh, clunky and kind of boxy, and didn't it wasn't a retail unit, and it had all these old cartridges in there. Some of them were labeled with masking tape and had uh, um, titles on them when we found out that they were prototype games that had never actually been released. And alongside of that, there were two boxes of two games that were uh, sealed, and they were they'd been sealed since I think the late 70s. And one of them was the Lord of the Rings game, and the other one was, I think, uh, History of the World, Wars of the World, something like that. And both of these games apparently were extremely rare, because they not only had a video game component, but they had, like, a, a board game component with little pieces that you twisted off of, like, uh, you know, those old model cars that had the pieces on plastic frames. And so you needed yeah. to... The pieces uh, to, that you to, invariably lose... Yeah, so these, these games, you, you could play them, the video game component on the cartridge, and then they had a game component on the front of it that you moved pieces around and, and pushed keyboard buttons. So I looked at the, and there were, I think, five uh, copies each of each of these two games in two boxes. So I thought, well, that's interesting. I'll bring those in and talk to this collector. So I, I brought the games into um, the video store, or the, the music store where I worked, and this guy invariably came in you know, a couple times a week to look, and I said, hey, what do you think about these? And his eyes got as big as tea saucers. And he opened his, uh, his, his, his rarity guide, and he said, you know, those two things are listed on the rarity guide of 1 to 10 as like almost an 11, because first of all, they didn't produce many copies of those games. And second, they're not considered complete unless they get all the, you know, fussy little plastic pieces along with them. So this guide basically says, don't look for these because they're not really out there. And if you do find them, they're not going to be in mint condition or playable because the pieces will all be gone. And here you sit with five copies each of each of these two games that practically don't exist. <laughs> so... I said, well, you're more than welcome to them because I at this it was very early internet years and uh, I didn't know anything about how to research this stuff. And he had, like I said, like a physical book. So he gave me. Uh, um, he also collected gemstones. He gave me a, a diamond ring with which I could propose to my wife, which wound up being a mistake. But whatever, that's all water under the bridge. But he took these games <laughs> and he sold. Uh, he kept one sealed each, opened one to play, and sold the remaining six on eBay. And uh, he got so much money from it that he actually gave me this giant diamond I could use. Um, but after that, we struck up this friendship. And she and I used to go over to his house, and he was an older guy, so of course, you know, hey, kids, why don't you come play with my toys? Even then, it was a little creepy, but he wound up being one of the nicest guys I ever knew. And he had this this uh, giant man cave in the basement, and he had systems that I had barely ever seen. It was the first time I'd ever played a Jaguar, first time I'd ever played a CDI or a 3DO. I mean, this guy had a, uh, you know, Lynxes, and, and he had a TurboGrafx-16 and a Neo Geo. He had all these crazy systems that I'd heard of, but had never actually got my hands on, so we used to head over there and just play video games until our eyes were dried up and falling out of our heads, and it was just a really, <laughs> you know, I lost track of him a while ago and, and can't find him online now, but I often wonder how he is, because we were, uh, we used to go over there quite a bit and just, you know, really dive deep into his collection, and he had pretty well everything. I think the last time that I talked to him, it was several years ago now, but he was, I think, 12 cartridges shy of having a complete collection of NES carts, and that includes, like, the, uh, like the crazy multicolored Bible adventure ones, the, uh, the, the ones that were with the dip switches that were released as prizes at the tournaments that, that went for something like 10 or 12 grand last time I checked on eBay. So he was uh, pretty well almost complete on his, his NES collection. That was his main axe. He had all the consoles that I could, had ever heard of and some I never had, but he was particularly interested in, uh, in Nintendo Entertainment System games and was, was pretty close on having a, a complete uh, collection of all of them. That's pretty impressive. And actually, uh, being a collector myself, I mean, I, I have a smattering of games for each of the systems I own. Yeah. But I own something like, if, if you count handhelds, I own something like uh, 80 systems, more than 80 systems. Oh, wow. It's intense. I had to move a lot of them into the garage because they just they eat up a lot of space. 
Oh yeah. Until I get my own my own little man cave, then <laughs> I can display them again. But yeah, some of those old I consoles are the size like, of suitcases. Oh yeah, I have this, uh, and actually the Magnavox Odyssey that I got from my friend Ryan is actually because it's a white unit. He had found a white, an old black and white white um, J.C. TV. Yeah. And he kind of packaged them together as a deal, so. I have the little black and white TV that you can actually play this Magnavox on and just be totally in that retro space. It's really kind of cool. Well, I didn't have, wasn't it a coaxial connection on those things, if I remember right? Yes. So you, you can actually, so most of the time, can't even play them on modern TVs. Yeah, you'd have to have some... There's a whole host of, of connectors and adapters and things that you can buy that'll help you connect to it. At one point, I had all of the decks hooked to the TV. I think I had like a Super Nintendo, a Nintendo... Nintendo 64, PlayStation 1, 2, 3, Xbox 1, 2, or Xbox, Xbox 1. Um, I had the three Ataris, a ColecoVision, and then yeah, I've mostly pared down on consoles. I the, the only three I have really connected to the TV now are the Xbox One, the PS4 Pro, and the Switch. I do have an Xbox 360 and an original Xbox, and there's a Dreamcast knocking around here someplace. But, um, I do have a Dreamcast as well. Oh yeah, most of the, most of the the retro games I have now, but just because of, like you said, space considerations, because you don't have, I mean, unless you're really dedicated, and, and uh, you know, I've seen the shots of your setup, and it's admirable. It's I, I love how you've got everything, you know, uh, connected, and it's all sorted out. Uh, I don't have the yeah, space for that. I don't have the space for that, no, so I do. It used to be. I I, I, I downsized. Uh, the only things I really have connected at this point is I have the. Uh, the Xbox One, the PS4, and then I have uh, a PC that I hook to the TV. Okay. And then I have the Switch and the Wii U because the kids still play the Wii U. So. Oh sure. Well, you know, apart from the I the tiny arcade cabinet ones that I have in the the well the full size arcade cabinet plus the uh, varying sizes of the tiny ones, I mostly just go with emulation now. I mean, I I have a Raspberry Pi that uh, is knocking around someplace. It's got uh, s- some old ROMs on it, and and I definitely am, am all about picking up those those collections if they ever do them, like the old Sega collection that's got thirty uh, some games on it that plays on the 360 or. Or um, oh, yeah. I have all of the uh, the Atari flashback for the Xbox One. That that just space considerations aside, it's not really the true retro experience, but it definitely gets close enough to scratch that itch for it's close. for yeah. somebody like me that uh, that remembers those games, but isn't necessarily hung up on 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 hunting down the original uh, cabinets or cartridges. And that's funny because I went to the auction site. I, I buy a lot of my furniture and things like that off of this sure. auction site that's local to us here in uh, in uh, Lacey, Washington. And I went to pick up a dresser I'd won off the auction site today, and I guess the last week they had uh, four different auctions for bundles with uh, uh, Commodore 64 units. Oh, man. And and I saw them when I went to pick up my dresser, and it's like, oh, I wish I could have dropped the cash, because these were in amazing condition. Some of them still had the box that it came in, and cartridges and everything to go with it, and... I remember the little Commodore 64s. Those and the Texas Instruments. Those, those they had cartridges, and some of the games were on actual cassette tape, which was, uh, you know, crazy. The Vic as, 20. As a kid. Do you yeah. remember the Vic 20? Yes, that's yeah, the Vic 20. That's the one that had the, the the games on cassette tape. I remember playing that as a kid as well. That was one of the first ones I remember playing, <clears throat> and I remember that one of the first games that I remember spending any kind of discernible amount of time on was uh, Space Invaders. Oh yeah. Which, you know, I I've got a soft spot for Space Invaders. I'm fucking terrible at it but i love it <laughs> uh, i remember reading and somewhere that's the thing. well uh, uh, space invaders lore not only did they have a uh, when that came out in japan they had a um 
a shortage of the of the 20 yen coins, I think it was. It was a national shortage of the coins, the quarter equivalent in the economy, uh, because people were just dumping them into the machines. But, um, you know, the other thing that I remember reading about Space Invaders, and again, this might be apocryphal, but I remember reading that the, uh, the ramping up of the difficulty, which the... Um, the, the aliens, the space invaders themselves moving faster and faster as you winnowed them down and there were fewer and fewer of them to aim at was actually originally a bug. They didn't intend to do that, but something happened. There was a weird blip in the code that they just got faster and faster as you eliminated them and, the, and they were trying to fix it. But then they just decided, you know what? No, hell no, let's leave it in. That actually kind of ramps up the tension and is one of the first <laughs> examples, if I remember right, of increasing difficulty as you progressed through a game. It doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. So, like, we're talking about retro video games and such, sure. and and it's it's clear and evident through our conversation that you have a very soft spot in your heart for them. So, if I we do. had to go and pick one video game that you feel was formative to you at the outset that you still have a really soft spot for, what would you say that would be? Oh man, I would say probably because I know because I know I know my answer. But I okay, well, I, I want to hear yours as well. I think for my for me, it was probably Donkey Kong. And again, it's the same thing with with you and Space Invaders. I loved it. I suck out loud at it, that's but I love Donkey Kong. Too. That's, that's yeah, really. That's absolutely my answer too. <laughs> well, the, the crazy thing about that's Donkey funny Kong to you me is, that. oh yeah, it's. It, I remember uh, again reading somewhere because I, I it's, it's such an area of interest for me. But <clears throat> I remember reading that, um, uh, and this is probably true that Pac Man was the first time that there was ever actually an identifiable, relatable character in a game. Up until then, you had Asteroids with the ship, you had Pong with the paddles, but the first time there was an actual character that had a name and a design and, and theoretically something that you could, could relate to was Pac-Man. But, I mean, he's, he's an orange pie wedge, you know, or yellow. He's, he's not really... You can't really... It's not like a person. So I remember the first time ever seeing... It was like something like 16 to 20 pixels of uh, Mario, who, of course, was then called Jumpman, and it was the first human that I can remember as a kid seeing in a video game and being able to project myself onto as a proxy and thinking, you know, I gotta get up these girders because uh, Pauline ain't gonna save herself. So, you know, screw the monkey. And so as a kid, not only was was the uh, the idea of the game of, of being able to climb upwards and progress and dodge the obstacles, that was uh, a really interesting concept to me, but I remember Jumpman slash Mario being the first human character that, that had a name and a form that was relatable to me as a human being as a kid, and that's why I kind of glommed onto it so hard. No, I get that. And, and, and then, of course, you read the backstory of, of Jumpman Mario, and you realize that he's kind of the bad guy. Yeah. And, uh, here, I'm, I'm and of course, he became the bad guy right in, in, uh, in, in Donkey Kong 2, was it? Where he, he was... Uh, he was the one that was. I don't know. Was it Donkey Kong Two or was it, no? It was Donkey Kong. Donkey um, Kong Two. Or was it where three? he was holding Donkey Kong hostage, basically. Yeah, th- that was Donkey Kong Three, where he was. Uh, he was had that in the cage, and he was. Uh, oh crap! I'm getting my wires crossed. I can't remember which one it was now. But yeah, he was. He was a villain in one of the games. They recast him as the bad guy. So, yeah, that was the yeah. fir- first and only time I can think of that I remember that, that Mario was actually the villain. But trying to keep uh, Donkey Kong Junior from his dad. Uh, Donkey Kong was basically my go-to as a kid growing up too. And distinctly because, uh, if you remember back in the day, they had those little teeny tiny tabletop arcade cabinets that yes. were about eight or nine inches tall, and they had the super pixelated graphic, mm-hmm. and it was just the same level over and over and over again. Sometimes they had increasing difficulty levels, but most of the time it was just the same, same. Uh, as far as retro games, now you say you do a lot of emulation. I do a yes. lot of emulation as well. Uh, I've found that... Uh, with the recent uh, advance in technologies, they've brought us a lot of things like the uh, NES Classic, the SNES Classic, the uh, horrifically misstepped PlayStation Classic. Yeah. And 
and I just showed you. I bought uh, about a month ago. I bought the. Uh, they had a Commodore sixty four classic. So that's super cool. They've got just about whatever you want, uh, as far as for tiny uh, retro systems. They're really trying to milk that dollar, and, and get what they can out of you at one point, and, and which is kind of admirable, uh, but also kind of at the same time. Uh, kind of feels like they're beating a dead horse with a stick, but... Yeah, a little bit. I mean, when the NES came out, the, the classic, and it was so popular and, and sold out, you know, I think anybody who who was in that space that had, uh, you know, any kind of a legacy or a library was looking to kind of cash in on that same sort of thing. And I even remember seeing... Uh, I haven't heard anything about it recently, but uh, I heard rumblings of, uh, of a new... A new Atari, and, and that's been something that kind of drifts. Every couple oh, of months, I'll see something BCS. new. Yeah. Yes. Every couple of months, I'll see a new oh. story on it, and then it goes away for a while. And I think that's also going to wind up being vaporware. But you know, again, anybody that has any kind of a legacy or library tends to want to jump onto that bandwagon as soon as they see somebody else having some success with something. And for anyone listening who doesn't understand the term vaporware, uh, just a real quick. Uh uh, demonstration of what that means it means a project that is hyped rallied around and funded and people work on it and announces oh we got a trailer coming for this we got this that and the other thing and the project just never materializes and in yeah. fact uh again one of the biggest examples of vaporware was with uh, a game called duke nukem lives and Duke Nukem Lives had been promised, I think it went, didn't it come out finally after like 15 years or something ridiculous? Yeah, it was announced for, I think, the original Xbox. It was supposed to compete with the original Sirius Sam, and then they had, uh, famously, they had, 3D Realms had on their website, Duke Nukem uh, Forever coming when it's done. And it was one of those things that got asked about all the time. And uh, they just, you know, kept on saying when it's done, when it's done. And then because of the the lack of time that they spent putting that together, they went under. And then uh, I want to say Gearbox Software, who uh, produced the, the Borderlands series, bought the IP and set about finally finishing the thing. And, and it it's was kind terrible. Of, yeah, it was kind of inevitable that after all the hype and all the anticipation that it was going to wind up not living up to expectations just because they were so high after so long. But, uh, yeah, it came and out how, and it was how? just kind of yeah. awful. How do you how do you live up to fifteen years worth of hype? I mean, it was always going to be impossible yeah, to do it, that. It, it, and then the it, other it, example it, it, that it I always think of, alone. <clears throat> yeah. Go ahead. The other example I think of when I think of vaporware, I went to E3 in 2011, 12, and thirteen, and I think 2011 was the last year that Phantom paid for a booth, and uh, Phantom was a console that was massively hyped, same as like Duke Nukem. And uh, it was one of those things that they they promised all these high-end specs for the time, and they had all these supposedly exclusive third-party licenses to produce content, and they kept on kicking the can down the road in terms of, like, when they were going to produce this thing. And they they released, like, dev kits, and they had uh, a website with, like, pictures of the the prototype console on it. And the only thing that they ever produced as a product, a tangible product that you could buy and have in your home, was this um, lap board they called it. It was a uh, like almost a TV tray looking thing that you could put on your lap that you could mount a uh, a keyboard and mouse on in case you were a wazd mouse look control person. And it was the only thing they ever produced. But for years they promised this this revolutionary console with all this amazing content, and they had all this venture capital and all these investors and all this time. And I I think the website was up for five or six years and it just never came to fruition. They they never had the money to finish, and it's just one of those stories that kind of went down in history as being, you know, the classic overpromise and underdeliver. It just never materialized. And I think uh, it's really hard uh, if you look at something like like we were talking about with Duke Nukem, 15 years worth of yeah. hype. They've got a lot to live up to, and 
There's yeah. no way that it could ever live up to that. Now, if it had stood alone and been released, the game that we got, Duke Nukem Forever that we got, if that had just been it and there wasn't all of that hype surrounding it, it wasn't yep. a horrible game. It wasn't right. horrible. I mean, I played it. It, it was it was passable. <clears throat> and it was, it had it come out 15 years earlier, it would have been amazing. So we talked a lot about retro gaming, and, and we also kind of had a little bit of a brief conversation about what uh, systems that you have currently yeah. playing. Uh, if you had to pick a game that you've dumped maybe the most amount of time into, what would you say it would be? Well, this is why... Question, well, I, it kind of isn't, because, uh, you know, I, I actually have, have thought about that quite a bit. This is why I'm so bummed out about what's happening with Bethesda now, and the, the whole debacle that is Fallout 76, because if... I think it's probably a dead heat between Skyrim and Fallout 3, in terms of the games that I've dumped the most time into, with maybe... The Witcher 3 being a, uh, a, a distant third, if not somewhere in the neighborhood of those two. Um, yeah, and I picked you up know, the, the Witcher, the older but I, I never did. played it. Uh, the Witcher 3 is fantastic. It's, it's, it's in terms of character development, uh, visuals, story, voice acting, narrative, uh, variants of, of, uh, of mission type. It's it's one of the, the, that's one of the best games I've ever played. I'm looking so forward to Cyberpunk 2077 because of that. If it's the same sort of formula and care as The Witcher uh, 3 was, but set in a uh, <clears throat> more futuristic setting, it's going to be spectacular. But that's that's the thing. Like, well, I, plus I, you I get played Keanu Reeves with that one, too, so that's great. Oh, too. yeah, it's fantastic. I, I played um, Skyrim and Fallout 3. In my memory, I'm sure they were a few years apart, but I played them more or less kind of back-to-back. And at the time, I remember thinking, yeah, they're a little bit glitchy, they're legendarily buggy, but the quality of the game and the, the good time that I'm having with it is it more than balances out the, uh, the occasional... Uh, blip in, in, in quality or or interruption in immersion. But then Witcher 3 came out, and I thought, oh, it is possible to make a game on that grand of a scale and on that huge of a scope that's that ambitious and and that uh, deep, uh, and not have it be an absolute bug fest. Um, I'm going to have to so put that in and play that, I think. It's fantastic. It's just the older I get, the less time and the less money I have to really dedicate to these things. So if I'm going <laughs> right? to play a, a game for that long, it's got to be a game that I can get months and months out of, you know, like something like an Assassin's Creed Odyssey that's just so packed with content that it just crushes you. I'm still working on that game, and it's it's been out for almost a year and a half now. Yeah, my son's played that game rather extensively, and, and, and I have to admit, yeah. I have I played a lot of the other Assassin's Creed games, but I haven't picked that one up yet. But it is on the agenda. I keep getting sidetracked by, uh, by games. Like now, I like you... Uh, one of the games that I've dumped the most amount of time into is Skyrim. Um, I yeah. There's this ongoing dilemma in my house about how many times I've purchased that game. Uh, well, they do keep re-releasing it, don't they? It's become a trope I, and a joke and a meme. <laughs> I bought it for the PS3 when it first came out. Uh, then I bought it for the PS3 again when they released the Game of the Year edition with all the different downloadable yeah. content. And then I bought it when they remastered it and put it on the Xbox One. I bought it on the Xbox One. And then when they did it again and uh, released it on the Switch, I bought it for the Switch. And then I bought the PSVR. So I'm like, what the hell? I might as well have Skyrim on the PSVR. So I'm like, I mean, I've got like five different investments in that game. So yeah, you yeah see, I went right the other way. Put some time into there. So 
I only bought it on 360, and I spent so much. I, I think the last time that I checked my save file, I had somewhere in the neighborhood of over 350 hours on that game. And that's the reason why I never bought it in any other format, I thought. Because, well, if <laughs> I buy it in another format, I'm going to... It's another, you know, several months of my life that are just going to get sucked away into the void when I could theoretically be doing something productive with my time. But this Man. time I'll go through and maybe maybe uh, make different mistakes and, and make different choices and try and play the game a, a different way. But I just thought I have so much time invested in that game on just the yeah. one playthrough and one save file that I have that I just I can't really justify going through and doing it again, especially with the kind of insane release schedule of games that are coming out that I, I will barely have time to play. I, I, oh, yeah. I tend to only... I'll watch movies over and over again, but I won't read books more than once a lot of the time, and I, I don't usually play through massive content-crushing sandboxes more than, than once or twice. And I know we had a lot of the same uh, similar concept thoughts when we were both playing right when uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 came out. And, yes. Uh, you made me laugh repeatedly with your content <laughs> because you kept talking about how wonderful and breathtaking and amazing this game is and then just the little yeah. bitty glitches that just pulled you right out of the game and it just fucking You know, I don't even know if it was the glitches so much. You. It was like intentional choices that Rockstar made that that were supposedly going to work towards that immersion goal. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I, I remember at the time the, the, the central theme I kept coming back to was this is the best game I've ever hated. You know, it's, there's clearly so much beauty, so much work, so much attention to detail has been put into this game. Um, you know, it's breathtaking to look at. The, the voice acting is second to none. Um, there's just so much going on in this game, and it hates you. It wants you to, to hate playing it. It just, you know, <laughs> it n- not that tries I, to defeat you. Yeah, they, they went so far towards the immersion goal that they just forgot to make it any fun. And I just remember every time that game would kick my ass or disappoint me or or do something like, why in the hell would they do... Okay, if I'm going to draw my gun to shoot somebody who's running at me with, with murderous intent in their eyes that I can see in 4K resolution on a PS4 Pro from like a half a mile away, why does it take me 27 steps just to draw my gun and fire and then I miss anyway because the gunplay is so crappy? You know, it was it really was the best game I ever hated. There were just so many things about it that were either bugs, as you said, or deliberate choices on Rockstar's part that were put in there in order to to feed the environment. That just I looked at it and I went, why in the why in the hell would you do this? I, I get why there are certain things that are the way they are because you're, but how, how you could move so badly and so quickly and so far in the opposite direction from the first Red Dead Redemption, which was, you know, still top five of all time for me for a thousand reasons, and then make this game such an, you know, absolute slog, a user-hostile experience. How could that be possible from the same developers in the same universe? And I still loved it. And and, and then there's yeah. been games like that for me all the way back to the original NES. Now, I'm a huge fan of the Mega Man franchise. I always have been. Yes. always will be. As far as just straightforward side-scrolling kind of shoot-'em-ups with, with puzzle elements to it. It's second yeah. to none. However, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty terrible at them. I couldn't tell you the last time I beat a Mega Man game. Uh, it's one of the few games that I've consistently wanted to throw a controller with, uh, which I haven't because the only place that we could go right now is through my TV, and we don't want to do that. Sure. But... uh and even now with the remakes they made, finally they did 8 and 9, and, and they're up to 11 now on the Switch. Mm-hmm. And it's still the same frustration. It's still the same level of of just biting through your lower lip, hating your life, but you yes. need to keep going. Because after a while, I, I tell people that Spite's a hell of a motivator, 
But after a while, you, just, <laughs> you, you want to beat that to say, you know, fuck you, I finally beat you, you know? Oh, you are not going to get the best of me. You're nothing but 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 wires and bits of silicon. Screw you. I'm going to get. I I'm going to murder you. And then well, that's and one then of those games. The Mega Man series is one of those is games. Gone and you're done. And, and yeah. You're like, oh fuck! I still didn't. Beat right. Well, the, the Mega Man series is one of those. There's a trope uh, that that actually is on TVTropes.com, which is a website I highly recommend for um, cataloging narrative devices. But there's one that's called Nintendo Hard, and it was like back in the day before they could put like lush visuals and and months worth of gameplay into a, a cartridge because they were working with limited storage space and limited processor power. They had to introduce artificial difficulty. They had to make things damn near impossible so that you could get as you feel like you're you're getting your money's worth. So you had games like right. Battle Toads with the legendary speeder bike sequence that would eat your face. If you were like, if you didn't have, you know, cat-like reflexes, uh, there was Ninja Gaiden that was uh, w- would murder you every chance it got. Ghosts and Goblins, where one hit you lose your armor, another hit you're dead, and there's things flying at your face constantly. Uh, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the NES, where it had the oh, underwater yeah. sequence with the bombs and the seaweed, all that shit was just, you know, th- these games they want you dead, and they're not shy about you know letting you know that every chance they get. <laughs> because they had to introduce that that fake difficulty in order to uh, to make it so that there was any kind of a challenge element to these games at all. Now, do you play uh, video games online with other people? I Are really don't. I will play co-op once in a while, like on, on the Borderlands series. I had some friends that I did some uh, some co-op with online, but I typically don't play PvP. Uh, mostly because I'm not a huge fan of shooters unless there's also like an RPG element or a sandbox element to it, like open world style. But I don't pl- like I don't play the modern warfare or the battlefield or the Call of Duty stuff because there are 11 year olds who have nothing but free time on their hands <laughs> and who have who have the reflexes of their age, and uh, I just don't have the time to invest to or, or like a like a Fortnite or a PUBG or something. I don't play those because. I just, you know, I don't like spawning and then getting my face shot off from three football fields away 11 seconds later and then having to wait to play again. I just, you know, I don't have the patience for that kind of shit anymore. I want to be able to have an experience. So I tend to gravitate more in the games that I buy now towards very lush, extremely expansive, open-world, single-player experiences. I'm a huge fan of things like the Far Cry series. Um... You know, I, I, I'm one of those guys that still buys every Assassin's Creed when it comes out. Uh, currently, I'm working on um, Days Gone, and uh, what's the I other one? I dabbled with uh, that one. Days Gone was pretty intense. Yeah, it's 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 it gets a bad rap. It's it's not as bad as everyone says it is. It's got some some quirks and foibles to it, but uh, it's not terrible. And I'm also working on um, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which has received a lot of hate in the games press and and in the reviews. And admittedly, it's not fantastic, but it's not as bad as everyone says it is. Um, and I, I came into it expecting exactly the game that I got, which you know ties back to what you're talking about before about Duke Nukem. About I find that my when it comes to any entertainment, whether it's books music, music, video games, um, any of that kind of stuff, movies. Um, my enjoyment of something tends to be somewhat colored and influenced by what I've heard about it going into it. I try to avoid reviews of something I intend to consume because if somebody else doesn't like it, then I have this preconceived notion of what it's supposed to be or if they rave about it and I buy it and it less than blows me away, then it's disappointing. So in, in that way, I can derive enjoyment from something that everybody says is garbage if it's exactly what I wanted it to be versus, right, oh, this game is incredible... Knowing. Yeah, or like Red Dead Redemption 2, where this game is incredible, it's a landmark game of the year, and then I go into it, and then all I find was disappointment. You know, it's it really depends on the, the idea of what you're looking for coming into the game versus, you know, the actual, I guess, um, arbitrary 
quality of it, I guess, whatever yardstick you'd use. Right. And and we both share uh, a common friend who does games media. His name's Jim Sterling. Yes. Uh, he's very famous for the Jimquisition. Uh, he does a lot of video game reviews. And I think he's one of the only video game reviewers that I actually trust. And that yes. might be coming from a place of the fact that I know Jim Sterling. And I know that if he shits on a game, there's a reason. Yes, and, and his, he, his criticism is always valid. A, yeah, he's not going to glorify a game just to satisfy a press. If a game's shit, he's going to tell you it's shit. I mean, and he has his loyalty is to the quality of the game itself, which I appreciate. I mean, he was very famously tapped to do some voice acting for We Happy Few, but then, of course, somewhere along the line in the development of that game, it, the focus of it changed, and it went from being, you know, a you know, forty dollar indie release to being, as Jim calls it, oh, it's a sixty dollar AAA, and he just you know takes the piss <laughs> out of it that way, and they made a whole lot of changes that were kind of counter to the spirit of the original crowdfunded game that was promised and so even though he had some marginal involvement with that game on a creative level he still took the piss out of it because it deserves to have the piss taken out of it absolutely and i think that's what i admire about him the most is that yeah he's, he's got integrity afraid. he's got integrity and he also uh, he'll call anyone out on their bullshit like you said even if he's in yeah. trouble he'll call you out on their bullshit so but what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick commercial break and uh, we're going to come back and we'll talk a bit more about current video games and the state of video games as they are and uh, find out what's new and upcoming that you're playing and uh, we'll go from there. So uh, stay awesome. around. We'll be right back. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one convenient place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for coming back. And now I wanted to kind of discuss with you, uh, we talked about Skyrim and our mutual love of Skyrim. We've been dumping a lot of hours into Skyrim. Uh, I've been personally playing right now, and I don't know if you've had a chance to pick it up. I know you're a huge Star Wars fan like I am. Uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Um, you know, yeah. I have not had a chance to pick it up. I haven't. I, as, as much of a, as I love Star Wars, and I do, I, 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 I am ashamed to say, and I probably shouldn't admit this, but I, I haven't really played any of the games. I think the last Star Wars game that I played was on the Nintendo 64. It was either Rogue Squadron, or what was the one with Dash Rendar, where you were... Shadows of the Empire. Shadows of the Empire. I think those are the last Star Wars games that I've played. I haven't played any you of the... You uh, missed much. Uh, a lot. The Battlefront the games, I haven't played games, Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah. The Star Wars games were really, stuff. really hit or miss. Now, I recommend Knights of the Old Republic just because of the, the style of game it was back in the day. It was a really kind yeah. of fun little RPG. But, like, the Battlefront games were a huge debacle, as you say. Uh, they just were... With the loot boxes and crap. What was promised and what was delivered was not hand in yeah. hand. But this game, uh, for all of its faults and flaws and camera angles and shit, there's flaws and, and things like that. But by and large, so far, I'm pretty impressed with it. It's actually kind of a fun little uh, adventure into a side character that didn't exist until this game. And 
Uh, it takes place about five years after Order 66 and the fall of the Republic. Uh, so it follows uh, a former Padawan who was in hiding and then decides to come out of hiding and, and take the fight to the Empire. So it's, it's actually really, really fun. Um, I've heard good things about it. I just haven't. I'm, I'm so far behind on a lot of the Star Wars video game universe that I just kind of feel like, at this point, that's a boat that sailed, and I'd have. Way, I, there's a lot that I wouldn't get if I tried to pick it up now, because I never know how much is like continuing stories and how much are like you know discrete extended universe things that can stand on their own. So this I one just stands kind of, as a on its own pretty well. Back out. This one stands okay. on its own pretty well. You don't really need any investment in the series except for the movies. So uh, I feel like you've got a safe handle on that. So. Well, I should definitely um, check it out. But I've been playing through that one a lot. And like I said, I dump a lot of time into Skyrim. I think I had like three or four different characters with a total of like 120, 150 hours each into each character. And yeah. uh, it's one of the only games that I have ever scored a platinum achievement on, which I'm very, very proud of. I don't know if you know what that means. All right. That means you've achieved every achievement within the game. And so, yeah, I only uh, have a couple of those myself, uh, and, and they usually aren't like the bigger games. So that's 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 a tough uh, that's a tough uh, obstacle to overcome. It was a hard one, uh, <laughs> uh, but I put a lot of game I put a lot of time into a game called uh, oh, geez, Seven Days to Die, which is okay. a, ga- a game done by a group called the Fun Pimps, which is a fun name in general. Uh, yeah, it they, is. They uh, they licensed the version of the console to. Uh, uh, Telltale Games and Telltale Games released a version for the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. Um, but what happened is, is Telltale went under, took the license yep. with them, so the game stopped updating. And uh, uh, as opposed to the version on the PC, which updates regularly and 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 certainly into areas where the game could be charging more money and and calling it a sec a sequel. They've upgraded the graphics. They upgrade the map. They upgrade armaments and everything i mean and it's just it's such a different experience on the pc that's the entire reason i have a pc hooked to my tv right now yeah so i could play this one particular game i mean and now i do editing on and everything too but as far as uh video games are concerned now there's new technology coming out uh they've Mm -hmm. got uh, xbox project scarlet on the horizon we've got the ps5 coming next year around this time uh, Nintendo's doing what Nintendo does, which is always just whatever the fuck Nintendo wants to do, <laughs> which is great. They Nintendo's very good at being Nintendo. I have to hand it to them on that one. They have carved themselves out such a lovely little niche market that they can pretty much do whatever they want, and they've got their marketplace. They've got their... Yeah, they and do. And they'll do their things like a port of Skyrim, or they'll do their things like a port of The Witcher 3, which just came out for the for the uh, 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 Switch. But... Uh, and maybe that's how I get to play the uh, the Witcher three because I mean I bought the well you know I I've I've seen Xbox. some some side by sides of the graphics of of the Witcher three and I played it on um, Xbox One mm-hmm. um, and there there are some 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 graphical compromises made on the Switch but it's it's not enough that I would say that if that, if that's your point of entry it's still a great enough game and it's again another top fiver for me um, that if that's the way you choose to consume it then you're not really missing much because for all the reviews that I've read of it. They'll say, yeah, there's a little bit of pop in, a little bit of texture mudding, but you know, at the same time, it's The Witcher 3, you know, in all of its glory, and there's a lot of glory there. So if you are new to the series and you're primarily a Switch gamer, this is, you know, one of the best games available anywhere. So, you know, maybe, you're not missing I, out on 
Yeah, maybe if I really hate myself, I'll go out on Black Friday and pick up The Witcher 3, and I'll pick up Dark Souls 3 and just fucking hate my life for a while. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, because, that's I mean, that's uh, say what you want, but the portability is amazing. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a recommend. The game itself, I haven't played it on the on the Switch, so I don't really can't speak to that version. But the game itself is just one of the most thoughtful, well produced, and fun and fun games. It's that's the thing. It's it's fun. The world is very real. The characters are incredible. Um, the you know the everything about it. It's just the premise. It's just it's one of those games that, I mean, obviously it's based on a novel series, uh, so it does have some source material. But it's one of those games that to me is the perfect intersection of of uh, originality and execution. It's a great idea that's just so well done. So that's that's definitely one that I would I would say is a must play, especially if you're into fantasy RPG sandbox. It's got a lot of slash hybrids to it, but it it just does them all so well. And, and now more to the point, we got a Netflix Witcher show coming out too, which a lot of people have been giving the game heat over, but they don't realize this was a book series, like you said. And so yes. the Witcher TV show is based on the Witcher books, not the video game. So people are like, oh, well, this is different than the video game. Say, yeah. Yeah. The book. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, like one of the things that I, I got a little bit testy about originally, because you do spend so much time following Geralt around because he is your your player character, and of course it's it's got the sort of like over the shoulder perspective that a lot of third you know person games do. Yeah. You see Geralt walking around and he's got two swords on his back. One is steel for you know human enemies, and one is silver for monster enemies, and and so it's a very iconic image to see this guy walking around with these two swords on his back. Right. But apparently. That was something that CD Projekt Red did in order to make it more convenient for the player to be able to handle whatever the game throws at them in his environment. Because in the books, he doesn't encounter monsters as much as he does humans, so he keeps his silver sword on his horse. And his horse, Roach, is always available for you to whistle for. Like with any game, you know, there's, it, that's, it's uh, something you did in Red Dead Redemption 2 and in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, where you, uh, <coughs> you whistle for your horse and the horse shows up. But um, in order to, to for, for player convenience, for the sake of convenience, they have the swords strapped to Geralt's back. But in the novels, he keeps the silver sword on the horse. So they decided to go with that. And originally I was like, why does he only have one sword? But it wound up being kind of one of those things that fell by the wayside once it was explained to me. Like, you know, the whole, like, why does Spider-Man have organic web shooters in the Sam Raimi versions of the movie Tobey Maguire? It's just Less one of those things that, you know, about. fit... Like it's like your toxic fan fandom episode when people bitch about little tiny things that wind up really not being that big of a deal once the the project drops. You know, yeah. you, you can't get too bound up in your own expectations or something. Just trust the creators to do what they do, and and uh, hopefully, you know, once you actually see the finished product, it's going to blow you away on its own merits anyway. Now, I was going to go someplace else, but we're going to cycle back to that because this brings yeah. up a lot of good points. Is now, why do you think it is? that Hollywood just can't get a video game movie right. I mean, because if you look at all the different... Uh, and we're going to point out UA Bowl by name, but uh, <laughs> if we look at things like... Uh, oh, Jesus. X versus Sever. Ballistic X versus Sever. You've got uh, Blood Rain. You've got... Legendarily horrible Doom. Super Mario Brothers movie with uh, with Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, and Dennis Hopper. I still get mad at my friend Carrie. My friend Carrie made me watch that movie recently, like within the last year. Uh, it's like, oh man, it's better than you remember. It's such a great movie, and it's just like we got <laughs> to the end of it. It's like fucking no, no, it wasn't. I love Bob Hoskins. I love John Leguizamo, but Jesus Christ. 
that movie was an absolute turkey, and it, it just was never <laughs> going to be anything but that. I think no, the reason why... Yeah, there's so the many why different they, versions that just come across as, as they're trying yeah. too hard. I mean, even the Resident Evil movies, which have got a real lot of traction, a lot of people really like the Resident Evil movies, but there's such a departure from the video game. I well, mean, I think that's actually something I can speak to a little bit, because I, at one, once upon a time, a long time ago, I actually was, uh, I, I kind of had a screenwriting thing going on for a minute, okay. and screenwriting is, the structure of screenwriting is in, of a movie is incredibly rigid, and this this is an entirely separate subject that could be an entirely separate podcast, but suffice to say that when you look at like the, the structure of what a screenplay is, and it's an incredibly specific document, it has to follow a certain pattern that I will not break out here because it'll be another hour that we're talking and it's not the subject, mm-hmm. but video games are, are, are especially now with, with the uh, open world trends, tend to be very non-linear. You can tackle things in any order you want. Um, you don't necessarily have to follow the story. If you're playing Grand Theft Auto, you know, and you've got like a heist mission that's hanging out on your ledger that's bugging you to do it, you don't have to do that. You can just drive around and knock over liquor stores, whatever it is you want to do. But movies have to follow an extremely rigid narrative structure that is kind of very different from what video games have. Right. So... There are compelling characters, compelling settings, compelling stories that are being told in video games, but the structure of the story is so different from a film that when you try and shoehorn that source material into a film structure, it doesn't always work, and you've only got you know two hours to wrap it up. But the other thing that I think is the issue is that um, filmmakers tend to ignore... And obviously, you've got quite a bit of filmmaking experience under your belt, so you also know the constraints of the medium. But filmmakers tend to come into a project with their own ideas and what they want to do with a given thing, a piece of intellectual property. And they kind of ignore, if they're not gamers themselves, what makes the game unique and special. And they think, well, I can't do this thing that's a central tenet of the character because there's this other thing that I want to do within the narrative structure of the film. So I kind of have to deep six that aspect of it in order to tell the story I want to tell. And then you have all of these... um, you know, like the uh, take the Assassin's Creed movie for example. Was it a bad movie if you consider it on its own merits? No, but people who are fans of the Assassin's Creed series have very clear expectations of what they want out of that piece of property. And when you do things that play well on screen, like have that crazy articulated arm animus thing that that Michael Fassbender plugged himself into, whereas in the game it's basically a bed you lie down on, no matter which version you're playing, that helps you kind of regress through your ancestral DNA memories. It, it it plays well on film, but it has no place whatsoever in the 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 mythos or the the world that the game has gone to great lengths to build so right. it's just it's conflicting mediums that have different goals and different processes and different structures and so when you try and shoehorn one into the other you know, games have been have been drifting more towards cinematic stuff for a long time with the cutscenes and the lush environments, and that sort of works. But when you try and take the idea of a video game with its interactivity and its branching narratives and its multiple storylines and its dynamic character stuff, and try and pigeonhole that into a film that that necessarily must have a very rigid structure of the storytelling, it just kind of falls apart as a conceit. And you're right. I, I think the last good video game movie adaptation that I saw, and this is a controversial opinion, but I am prepared to fucking defend it. The <laughs> last good video game adaptation I saw was the original Mortal Kombat. You that know, one I'm to not me. I'm going to fight you on that. That was no. A good, that, that understood that good what movie. the game was. It understood what the game was. You, you get the world's best fighters, you bring them to a remote location, you have a tournament, and they fight each other on some kind of bracket system for some kind of prize or superiority. It had all the characters in there. It understood what the characters were. It incorporated the characters' traits. And something that I didn't even realize when I watched it, I watched it with a friend of mine who studied quite a bit of martial arts, and we're talking like way back in the day when it first came out. And he watched it on the edge of his seat because he said, what I like about this 
is that whoever the fight choreographers were in this movie, it's a cheesy-ass video game movie. They could have fobbed it off and just done a lot of punching in it, but they didn't do that. What they did with it, what I appreciate, is that every character in Mortal Kombat, the game and the movie, comes from a specific background and a specific writing or fighting style. Right. So... You've got, you know, Johnny Cage, who's kind of a, uh, he's a, he's a movie star, so he does a lot of, like, you know, kind showy, of uh, Bruce Lee type stuff. Yeah. Or not Bruce Lee type stuff, but he's, yeah, showy, flashy, street fighty stuff. And then you've got, um, you know, Liu Kang, who's more of a Bruce Lee character. And he said, you know, no matter what country or background of origin each of these characters come from, Sonya being special forces and Kano being, like, an Australian street fighter... Every one of these characters, if you really look at the choreography on the film, is fighting in a style that is is commensurate with their country of origin and their background of upbringing. And that attention to detail, putting into what, what could have been just a cheesy video game movie, was really well done. Plus they incorporated all the characters, and all the characters looked like they were supposed to, and they fought the way they were supposed to, and it just it understood what the video game was, but still managed to take those characters, that story, and that world, and fit it into a standard movie narrative in a way that made sense that honored both mediums. So as much as you can kind of look back at that and go, oh, it's cheesy, you know, you've got the, the, well, yeah. um, the mean, Asian god of thunder being played by a French actor who barely there. speaks English. Yeah. yeah, there was plenty of Elvita coming off the screen on that movie, but the things they got right, they really got right i agree and 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 like i said you're not gonna get any fight out of me on that one that was one of the good ones in fact they're redoing it now they're rebooting it and and i'm curious because now they gotta not screw it up again we're we're in the age of such big budget yeah that there's so much with digital green screen and things that they can do i just really hope they don't overdo it so i'm curious to see where it goes but Let's. I mean, God, look at the the laundry list of shitty video game movies. You got your, you got your uh, Super Mario Brothers. You got fucking. You got your Tomb Raider. You got your, uh, you know, your Assassin's Creed. Your Resident Evil. Street Fighter. Oh, Don't good lord! Street, Street Fighter, Fighter tried to. Yeah, Street Fighter is the DC to the Mortal Kombat Marvel. When you're trying to talk about fighting games made into movies, it was just trying to to ape the uh, the the formula and just not understanding what made it special. Right and. And let's see, and then unfortunately that was Raul Julia's last movie, and that, and that kind of yeah. put a taint on the end of his career, which I thought was terrible. It's kind of like how Danny Kaye's last movie was Xanadu. I mean, you know, you, you don't get to pick your final project, sadly, but if it winds up being something that's that kind of awful, you know, it does, uh, you just have to kind of consider somebody's career as an entire thing rather than just kind of look at the last thing they did. But yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. That was the, What was it, uh, Brando was his last, it wasn't his last thing, uh... Island of Dr. Moreau or something? No, I thought it was Transformers. No, who am I thinking of? Did the voice of Unicorn. Orson Welles. Transformers. Orson, Orson Welles. Welles. His last movie was Transformers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he, he described it as some fucking robot movie, I think is how he <laughs> described it. So. Well, Alec Guinness spent most of his career denouncing Star Wars, so you know, there's no accounting for taste. I mean, you know, he's, I am a serious actor, I studied on the West End, I went to London, you know, he's, he's, he's very and all uh, I'm classically trained and... And he's going to be mostly yeah. remembered for, uh, for 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 swinging a lightsaber around at a guy in a black mask. So, you know, you can't it pick your you final project, legacy, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, he apparently was very reluctant to even show up as a force ghost in later movies because he just really kind of denounced that whole universe. But like you know, so yeah, video game movies generally stinkers. Um, every once in a while, you'll get one that's that's not completely awful, but the track record is not good. Yet they keep on, although. I feel a personal moral obligation. And I hope this this is something that a lot of people feel gonna, to go and see the Sonic, Sonic movie. The Hedgehog movie, yes. Yeah, 
Yes. yes. Got to see the I Sonic movie. I was just movie. having this conversation with my wife the, uh, yesterday because I showed her the original trailer, which she hadn't seen. And then I yeah. showed her the new trailer. And then I showed her like pictures side by side of, of the two versions of Sonic. And I mean, they dumped a lot of cash just to make that happen. And, and Time actually, and energy. I posted something on Facebook about that as well. Um, and actually, it was Jim Sterling who commented on my my thread. He was talking about... Uh, it was one of those uh, Lisa Simpson memes where it talks about, you know, we should all go out and see this movie now. Yes. Because this is one of the first times that a movie company or a movie studio has listened to their fans and done what they asked. And we should yeah. all... We owe it it's to it's a moral to obligation at this point. And and Jim's response, and especially like when you've got a central character, yeah, you've got a central character who's who is the title character, right. and you know it's it's Sonic, and so to go back, and the original release date was this month. It was November of 2019. So now that they pushed it back to February, yeah, that's not a lot of time. It's coming out February 14th now to redesign a central character. CGI, the effects of any given movie that uses CGI is always the most time-consuming and expensive part of the process. I mean, shit, Pixar takes four mo- four years to come out with a film, and every second of time and every drop of uh, every every penny of budget is evident in the quality of those films and you've got five million into redoing it i mean yeah so i i feel like it's a moral obligation to 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 make that movie an absolute whether or not it it, it keeps to the track record of quality of video game movies and and sucks out loud is kind of irrelevant because you know yeah people complained and they went back and fixed it and it is objectively better now. I mean, just the, even the look of the character is objectively seen, yeah. better on, on a thousand levels. So, yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, I'm, I'm going to go see it. I, I, I was never... I, I played the Sonic games. I was never a huge fan of them. I think the last Sonic game I played was Sonic Adventure 2 on the Dreamcast. But, you know, it's a video game movie. I'm into movies. I'm into video games. Plus, I am... I, it kind of harkens back to that toxic fandom thing you talked about before of, you know, this might have been one of those instances where people were right in the, in their assessment that needed to change so if you were even somebody who had the thought much less bitched out loud about the look of sonic you owe the filmmakers your fidelity to go and see that movie and spend your money on it and actually the the, the meme in question was lisa simpson and it says uh we should all go see the sonic movie when it's released to show our support because a company actually listened to us and jim's Jim Sterling actually responded on there. He says, uh, you should see it if you want to and not see it otherwise. Corporations are not your friends and wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire. And I'll well, tell you what, I agree he does to have an a extent point. with that as well. That is a different viewpoint. But at the same time, if we want companies in the future to listen to feedback and, and, and make something that's going to be more widely uh, accessible and widely uh, a- accepted by the fans, we do, I think, have a bit of an obligation, as you say, to go and yeah. and, and and show these people through the only means that we really have, aside from bitching about it on the internet, uh, the way we show appreciation for that, and that's to buy a ticket. Agreed. So agreed. Um, yeah, and I'm really hoping. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it looks like we I gotta flip the script Jim on you, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you a question sure. as we're going for. I'm gonna ask you a question. What, like, uh, retro is, is is the focus of, of this episode, and, and obviously sure. there's quite a bit to talk about there. But but you know, going forward, we we were gonna talk about this too. What what kind of stuff? What what are you excited about? Looking at like the the sort of like final push, the end generation push of. Uh, 
of games on the current generation of consoles and maybe some stuff you've heard rumored for the new generation. What are you looking forward to as a gamer that looks to be at least rumored to drop in the next year? I gotta say, I'm really excited about... Um, back when Xbox One first came out, when it was first coming out, yeah. uh, they had this uh, push for... The advertising all talked about room immersion. Uh, and it was yes. this like camera system that would project... Uh, off of your TV so like if you're in a dark room you're not just constrained to what you see on the TV you get the environments posted all around you and things like that that never came mm -hmm. to fruition and I think a lot of that kind of switched the script into uh, uh, VR and so sure. uh, I've only recently started dabbling in the VR arena uh, I picked up a, a PlayStation VR uh, so I played that on my PS4 Pro um, and I've really, really enjoyed the little bits that I've been able to, to jump in with that. Uh, one of the best games, and, and, and it's sad to say it's such a short game. It's only like half an hour long. But if you're a fan of the Batman Arkham series from Rocksteady Games... And who uh, isn't? And who isn't. They are fantastically well done. Agreed. Um, they did a Batman VR for that, and, and that was, of course, the ah. first thing I picked up. And unfortunately, like I said, it's it's ridiculously short. It's like half hour, forty five minutes long, if you go end to end with it. And there's no punching. It's all base. It looks like a tech <laughs> demo. Like this is Rocksteady oh, sure. showing off what they can do with the concept. But what they did with the concept was fucking brilliant. You're in the fucking Batcave. You look around and you've got the Batcave all around you. It you go through a process where you suit up as Batman. You're flinging batarangs around. You've got your grapnel gun. Uh, you're investigating like a detective. You're going from scene to scene and investigating things as a detective would. Uh, so it's definitely not got the punching aspect of a Batman game, but it does have the... Uh, and I fear for my TV if it ever comes out with a punching aspect. Uh, <laughs> It'd be like the Wii motes getting cracked and the screens all over again. No, because I find myself coming inching closer and closer to the TV because I know you don't have to walk. But sometimes you move, and so mm -hmm. I just see myself getting incrementally well, closer to the TV until I punch it. That just speaks to the immersion aspect of it. And it's such a great immersion. And, and in fact, I've played a lot of different games on the VR now. I play a, there's this cute little platformer called uh, Astrobot, which my daughter absolutely loves to watch me play, where you, you, you play a big robot who's in control of a little robot. And cute. you just wander around these little levels, these little side-scrolling type levels, looking for more robots. And it's it's incredibly cute. It's pretty immersive. I've found Sounds that good. they've got a bunch of different games with the PSVR that are really, really immersive. They've got things like Super Hot VR, which I don't know if you have any experience with the Super Hot games. Uh, oh yeah, I, I played Super Hot on, on the Xbox One, and it was uh, so innovative. That's another one that was just a, a good concept, well executed and short, but yeah. reasonably well done and very very engaging. And then they did a VR version of that, and so I'm very much looking forward to diving deeper into those series as they come out. But uh, I know there's rumors for the PlayStation Five is going to have its own like PSVR two, and. Uh, They've got things like the Oculus Quest now, which is kind of a standalone VR system, which yeah. I've got to do a bit more research into, but I am kind of interested in. Because, again, one of the biggest things with VR that is very limiting is the camera setup and the wires and having that space to explore, basically. 
Sure. And so anything with, that pulls you out of that immersion is, is probably something they're, they're working to overcome as we speak. Right. And so they've got like a they've got a platform you can stand on with the PSVR. It costs like 150 bucks. You stand oh, on wow. it and you kind of rock back and forth and left and right, and that <clears throat> controls your movement. Um, one of the greatest things that the PSVR has come out with recently, and uh, my wife picked up for me for my birthday year before last, was the uh, uh, the PSVR aim controller. And it just looks like a bent piece of uh, PVC tubing with a tennis ball or a golf ball on the end of it. But what in reality it does is, is it's a weapon, basically. And as you're in the video games, it enables that weapon in your hand in the video games to kind of simulate where your hands are on this controller. And it's got all the buttons strategically placed and everything. And it, it really brings you into that uh, environment wow. like you have a controller. They've got a game for that called uh, Farpoint, uh, which is this game that is... You are a space explorer who gets dropped on um, a deserted planet, basically. Your, your space station crash lands on this planet. You're looking for survivors. And uh, it's, it's so very, very immersive. It's, it's scary, in fact, how immersive it is. And then it came out with a, a multiplayer mode, which I've only dabbled with because, again, I don't really, I'm like you. I don't really like to play with 10-year-olds with too much money. Yeah. No don't manners. blame yours. So... I quit playing. Somebody told them that they're going to die if they don't insult your mother sexually or drop a racial slur every 11 seconds. So they, that's that's just disheartening to, to have to listen to. Yeah, I got called the f word a lot by 12 year olds playing Halo 3, and so I just kind of gave up. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, virtual yeah. reality technology is coming so far so fast, and augmented reality as well. You get things like you know Pokemon Go and, and the Harry Potter game, which I haven't sure. really dabbled around with at all. But uh, the technology is changing and advancing so quickly, and how they manage to incorporate that technology into the already present video game experience, I think is going to be very uh, telling. Uh, and, and again, we don't have much in the way of specs on the, on the Project Scarlet. Uh, we don't have, I mean, we have some idea of what we're going to be getting with the PS5, but outside of like video performance specs, we really know almost nothing. I find that interesting that you that you're the most excited about uh, VR and immersion and, and different kinds of you know technologies because I'm just I've never I'm not saying I'm not interested in it I'm interested to see where it goes but for me even with like the new stuff that's coming out I tend to be pretty old school I want a controller in my hands and I want like a 4K TV in front of my face I've never really gotten into the VR thing I, I appreciate and respect it for what it is, but I just don't know that it's necessarily for me. Admittedly, I haven't really tried it, and I'm sure my tune might change if I slapped on a pair of goggles and, and grabbed a couple of hand controllers and gave it a shot. But, I oh, mean, I for me, I just really like... trying it. Yeah. Yeah. Because the kind of stuff I'm looking forward to tends to be less um, interface-based and a little bit more um, you know, game-based. You know, the, the stuff that, I, that I'm looking forward to coming out... Um, I'm, I'm really, I've been very excited, I actually contributed to the, uh, not the Kickstarter, it was FIG, uh, f the fundraising platform for Psychonauts 2, mm -hmm. um, because I still am of the opinion that Psychonauts is, is one of the best games nobody ever played, and if you haven't played it and you're listening to this, what the hell is wrong with you? You owe it to yourself to have that experience. Absolutely <laughs> incredible. Um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what CD Projekt Red 2 does with uh, the sort of Witcher gameplay formula uh, when they bring it to a future setting in Cyberpunk. Um... I've, heard I've been putting off. About that game. 
Oh yeah, fantastic, and it looks amazing from the trailers, and and admittedly so did The Witcher, but you know The Witcher came out and absolutely lived up to the hype. So I'm I'm looking forward to, I mean CD Projekt Red is is they're they're incredibly good at what they do, and I have no reason to believe that won't translate to uh, Cyberpunk as well. Um, the Last of Us Part Two looks unbelievable. I, I I actually was I've been an Xbox fanboy for a very very long time, but I eventually got to the point about a year and a half two years ago that I could no longer ignore those sort of sweet sweet PS4 exclusives. <laughs> so The Last of Us and Horizon Zero Dawn and God of War actually sold me that system, and then I so I went back and caught up and did a lot of stuff um, that was. Uh, and the Uncharted series. So I, I went back, and the first maybe five or six months I owned that system, I played every game that I had wanted to play but couldn't for the previous few years. But um, I'm, I'm waiting right now until I'm in the right frame of mind. I have Xbox Game Pass, and I was surprised and delighted, really, to see that um, Obsidian's Outer Worlds actually dropped on Xbox Game Pass the first day it was released. I would have paid the full 60 bucks for it. I would have, because I'm such a fan of the old um, Bethesda... Uh, Fallout games, and you know, it, it must be said that that Obsidian developed New Vegas, which is probably my favorite of the series. Um, the only reason I have more time in Fallout 3 is I think it might have been just slightly bigger with slightly more to do, but you know, New Vegas was a little denser and a little bit, um, you know, more focused. So I don't have as much time in that one, but I liked it as much, if not more, than Fallout 3. And Outer Worlds kind of gets the uh, the elevator pitch of, oh, it's Fallout in space, Fallout New Vegas in space, from the same developers. So I have not gotten to that one yet, but I have downloaded it, it's on my Xbox, I'm hoping to fire that up and get it started pretty soon, but, you know, to the extent that I'm excited at all about any kind of new actual hardware that's coming out, I'm not as much on the VR train as you are, but I'm really interested and excited to see what kind of stuff is going to happen with uh, the PS5 and the, you know, as-yet-to-be-named Project Scarlet. Um... Just because, you know, I feel like the last leap between PS3 and Xbox 360 to PS4 and Xbox One was a pretty big one in terms of uh, the capability of what they're able to do. Like you said, they weren't able to really fulfill all the promises they made leading up to that, but, you know, the more we, we, we kind of move along here, the more I feel like they're going to start to really realize all the things they're going to be able to do. So I'm keeping my ear to the ground and, and my feet to the be fire. A over, more rea- uh, yeah, be a little bit more realistic yeah. with what their goals are. Yeah, because yeah. I think this was one of the better. I mean, of all the you know of all the generations of games that have come out, you can't discredit any one of them because they all had their gems, they all had their advancements. But I kind of feel like we just keep on getting better, and this most recent generation, is it seven or eight, whatever it is, um, has come out with with some of the best games that uh, that I've ever had the opportunity to play, including like I said, The Witcher or whatever. Oh, and then the next thing that I want to make sure that I, I another very underloved, but uh, but but beautiful game series that I've always felt never got the recognition it deserved, but was always fantastic, is uh, Oddworld Inhabitants is coming back to to game development, and they've got a game called Soulstorm. I was literally thinking in my head, I got, I hope he mentions uh, Oddworld. I really do hope he mentions Oddworld. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) I utterly love everything. Oh, yeah, anything that Oddworld has ever come out with, even like the like Munch's Odyssey, which was not a very well received game, no, I, I am so enamored with their. Yeah, I, I did too. I mean, th- and I played uh, New and Tasty when that got remastered and released. Uh, I am so in love with with. They have built up so much goodwill with me, from the quality and the environment, and the world building, and the characters, and and the beauty of those games. That I would they could just release a, a a plain black box with white generic print on the front that said Untitled Oddworld Game, and I would spend a hundred dollars on it. They 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 <laughs> have never missed as far as I'm concerned. So I'm looking forward to Soulstorm as well. Whether or not that actually comes out on schedule, or whether it's a next generation 
project, I don't know, but I couldn't give less of a shit. I'm going to play it when the day it comes out, um, because I really feel like Oddworld has never gotten any of the juice they've deserved for all the beautiful, wonderful games they've produced. And I'll tell you one of the things that I'm kind of excited about as well, and and I know I talked to you a little bit about it, but I've just recently discovered a company called Replicades, and uh, New Wave Toys. Oh, is, yeah, okay. New Wave Toys is the website, and, and they got these things called Replicades, and they're, what they are is 12-inch, give or take, tall uh, replicas of video game cabinets, arcade cabinets. And uh, they've done a, quite a few of them. They've done Tempest, they've done Street Fighter, they've done uh, Centipede Space Invaders. Um, but the one that they pulled me in with was... Uh, I put myself on a mailing list to be notified when Street Fighter 2 came back because I want that little 12-inch nice. Street Fighter 2. I mean, ba- who wouldn't? Which awesome. is now back in stock, and I still need to pick that up. But they took my money this month with, a, with their Kickstarter that they just wrapped up. And what they did was they put a Kickstarter forward for uh, Dragon's Lair. They did a 12-inch tall arcade cabinet of Dragon's Lair, and they did everything with the light wow. marquee, with the... Uh, <clears throat> The second screen for the scoreboard, the laser disc animation. I mean, they went. That's got to be tough to pack into a tiny it. cabinet. Well, I mean, back in the day, that thing was on laser discs, and those things were the size of LPs. I still have a laser disc player and a bunch of laser discs. No, you would. So being able to pack that uh, that game into a, a compact cabinet that's that's just an impressive thing. And, and and the cool thing about it is the stretch goals. Two of the stretch goals were hit, which the first one was to be able to play with. Uh, uh, a, a wired controller, a, a micro USB controller, which is great because then you don't have to sit so close to the cabinet. But then you have to deal with the fact that it's still a very small screen and with a very, 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 very hate you hard game. And yeah. uh, so the second stretch goal <laughs> it does was, hate you. The second stretch goal was for HDMI output on that. And so now I have this cabinet, and I'm going to have in in March, I think, when they finally deliver it. But I'll have this cabinet that represents my love of arcades and, and, and things of that nature, but that I can play it on my TV as well, which is going to be fantastic. So, um, I am envious. I, I think that's something you're probably going to end up with as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't able to jump in on the uh, the actual crowdfunding portion of the uh, product development, but once that thing drops, I'm sure that I'll, I'll definitely have to, to pick one of them up. It just sounds amazing. and I, Again, as much as Dragon's Lair hates you, it is one of those games that as a kid, you just played it. and You know, I, I thought to my... I, I, even then, I was sort of like on top of the technical limitations of the screen going black when the, when the track skipped and waiting to see if you died or not, which you almost always did. But I remember thinking as a kid, someday... Games will advance to the point where, you know, they'll be able to, to look like this without the technical limitations of having to, uh, to to do what this game is doing. Games will look like cartoons someday, because that was my, my basis of reference. That was my touch point for how, what's the best games can look when I'm 10 years old and it's 1985. What's what's my, my, my basis of reference for that? And it was cartoons. Yeah. So as much as like something like Cuphead hates you and wants to kill you, I still play that game because I'm like, you know, this is what I was hoping games would look like someday when I was a kid. And as much as that game is, is an asshole, and it is, it's just <laughs> one of those ones that... that it's so beautiful that it, you, you can't help but pick it up and fall in love with it, even it, if it, yeah, it's it an abusive like, relationship. And It looks like an old Silly Symphonies cartoon, which is really kind of cool. Yeah, it's that old Max Fleischer-style animation, and it just it's... I don't know if you've played it, but I, I recommend it. I also don't, because it will murder you every chance it gets, but it's just so fucking charming that you kind of forgive it and go back. Yeah, I, it's, it's definitely an abusive relationship. <laughs> 
coming back to the central theme of retro games, though, there's one thing I wanted to make sure to mention, um, and it's uh, you know these guys you know not a sponsor. I don't I don't I don't know who your sponsors are, but these guys aren't. But I'm going to plug a company here, not not so much a company, but a place. If you're into retro video games at all, as you probably are, if you're this you know deep into this episode of this right. podcast, you um, there's a place where you can go, and I kind of feel like it's almost a, a mecca style pilgrimage. I think if you're a retro gamer at all, you have to get to this place. I'm lucky that I only live about an hour and a half from this joint, and I have not been there in a couple years, but I, I'm planning a trip back pretty soon. Um, there is a place. It's in Brookfield, Illinois, which is a western suburb of Chicago, and it is called Galloping Ghosts Arcade. And if you haven't heard of it, if you live in the area, if you're anywhere within a couple of hours of this place, you owe it to yourself to go. Galloping Ghost is, last time I checked, the largest freestanding arcade in North America, and it's a retro gamer's paradise. All they have is old cabinets. Um... It's it's the size. I think it was an old grocery store that I think they bought out. If I'm I might be mistaken about that, but but the place is huge. It's like five or six giant rooms, and I'll have to send you some pictures of this. Saint, it's there's these great rooms of old arcade cabinets, and they're all set to free play. They do charge you money to come in. It's like a fifteen or twenty dollar flat rate to come in, but it's an all you can eat buffet. It's it's a prefix, all you can play all day long until two AM. You pay your admission at the door and you play until your eyeballs ray out and your arms fall off at the shoulders. Yeah, and I'm talking so they easy. have every game that you can possibly think of and as much as into retro games as you and I are, several that I didn't even know existed. And they've got them all grouped in in ways that, that, that really make sense. They got one sort of aisle that's mostly classics. You got your Donkey Kongs, you got your Pac-Mans, you got your Q-Birds, you got your Galaxians, and all your, uh, you know, Space Invaders, all your old school stuff. They got some stuff that's kind of, they got the vector stuff, like uh, Tempest and and the, the original Star Wars kind of grouped into to one area. All the fighting games, um, you know, your Tekken, your Street Fighter, your uh, your Mortal Kombat, your, your your King of Fighters, all that stuff is in a different area. Uh, the gun games are in another one, so whether or not it's a light gun game like a House of the Dead or something like an on-rail shooter like that, or whether or not it's like the uh, um, uh, was it Time Crisis or oh, what's, what's the, uh, the ones with, with the, the fixed Virtual yeah the, the fixed base. Virtual Cop, the fixed-based gun ones, like that ridiculous uh, Aerosmith game that came out where you shoot the, the records out of the sky. <laughs> Those are all in a different area. I uh, love Silent that Scope game. Sniper game. And then there's one area, one room off to the side that's got the really, really rare cabinets. The stuff that you might have heard existed at one point. It was the first time I'd seen a Robbie Roto cabinet since I was about nine years old. And there was briefly one of those at the pizza place near where I grew up. They have an original... Um, uh, I forget the name of the game, but it's a submarine game, and it's actually got a water tank on top of the cabinet. I think the last time I read an article on them, they were they were trying to acquire, uh, and I think there's only th- two or three of these in existence, and there was one for sale, and they were bidding on it. They were trying to acquire an original Akaara Atari cabinet. So these guys, and they've got an on-site repair place, and you can bring in your cabinets and get them fixed. I'm plugging these guys because I love what they do, because they're so dedicated to the art of retro gaming, and they're presenting it in a format that is very much like the arcades I remember when I was a kid. You just, you, you know, you Sounds pay your money, incredible. you go in there, and you play. It is it is one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in terms of, of, of retro gaming. So Galloping Ghost Arcade, spelled just like it sounds, it's in Brookfield, Illinois. If you Google that up, you can find out where it is. And if you're a retro gamer, I highly recommend, this would be worth a vacation, planning a weekend to head to Chicago just to go to this place for a day or two. You won't get to everything you want to play because it's that big, it's that exhaustive, it's that well curated, 
and you know it's an incredibly reasonable day of, of gaming you're not going to be walking around with a pocket full of quarters constantly doing laps back and forth to a change machine you pays your money you takes your ride you go in and it's just everything you can think of right at your fingertips and it's all there jim i think we need to go oh you know if you plan the trip um, I, I, it's, it's, it's a much less of a trip for me. It's a drive for me. It'll be a fight for you. But if, if you, uh, I've been wanting to go all, to Chicago it, anyways. Chicago's got good food, which is my other passion. So, oh God. Yeah. At the risk of going off on a tangent, you know, every town in, in, in the country is known for a particular local specialty and, uh, you can't beat the Chicago dogs, the deep dish pizza and the Italian beef of Chicago land. I, if I lived any closer to the authentic stuff, I would weigh 3000 pounds. It's, it's that good. <laughs> So, well, yeah, I'll food what, and video game pilgrimage. That, that sounds like a fucking plan. I'm going to look into some flights. but uh, Well, I think at this point uh, we're going to kind of wrap it up here. Uh, I do, sure. I do want to thank you for kind of just rambling on with me about video games. That's well, one thank of, you. It's one of my deep, deep passions, and uh, uh, it's always nice to – I mean, and we, we pair up so nicely with uh, our, our likes and dislikes and – uh, I mean, I was. No, I'm tempted to say you got good taste, and that's true. But it's also because it's you know it's taste that I have. So <laughs> it speaks to your own. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely I feel like we should do this again. Uh, you're very uh, engaging, and I enjoy talking to you. And uh, I just really want well, right to thank at you, you for uh, for coming on. And uh, I want to uh, thank all of you out there listening to this as well. Uh, for coming on another uh, verbal adventure with us and uh, I just want to remind you uh, I do I hate to make it sound like a tagline but it really kind of is a tagline at this but it's it's something that's super truthful and it rings true for me so uh, I want you to remember that uh, everything is fandom and that your fandom is everything thank you guys <laughs>